before was great success. The after was going from seven lawyers to 20 in a very, very short period of time. Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Case Real Podcast. I'm your host, Jan Roos, and today we are here with Darren Feinling. So Darren is the CEO of the Probate Pro. So Darren has been running a trust and estates practice out of Michigan and Ohio, and he is also one of the top 500 fastest growing law firms in the country, posting a very impressive 113% growth last year. So thanks and welcome to the show, Darren. I appreciate being here. Let's go a little bit more into depth on the story. So we've got the the kind of top level view, but would you mind telling us a little bit more about how you started to Probate Pro and got to the point we're at today? Absolutely. I uh, started like most practitioners, uh, just trying to figure out what to do when they got out of law school. I had no particular interest in probate other than the fact that I felt pretty competent in the subject matter when I left law school. So I was fortunate to uh, be given an office space in my father's sole practice. He's a lawyer. He's got three sons. And the office, unfortunately, was a closet with no clients. And he told me that if I wanted to uh, build a business, that I was going to have to do it on my own, but he would afford me rent-free of the closet and uh, allow his knowledge and wisdom and good name to be leveraged uh, by myself. So uh, I'm really fortunate to have had a father that was very kind to give me that opportunity to cut my teeth and learn along the way. My father did not practice probate, in fact, was a general practitioner, but early on I recognized that I wanted to grow this particular probate business as well as uh, scale it into a business. So over the years, we have employed all of progressive business concepts that you can imagine to grow this business into where we are today. And where we are today is we view ourselves not as a law firm, but we view ourselves as a scaling business. Although we happen to practice law and deliver legal services, uh, we really try to shy away from viewing ourselves through that lens. So that's very interesting. One of the things we've seen as a commonality with a lot of the firms that we've spoken to in the uh, top 500 fastest growing ones are sort of a focus on this whole business um, as opposed to law firm. Um, It seems that the people who tend to think, hey, just practice good law and, you know, put your name out there and the business is going to come to you tend to be the people who are working in solo practice for their entire careers. So it's a very interesting switch that you've taken in that. And um, would you mind telling me a little bit more about some of the uh, the major mindsets that, that you consider in in operating this as a business rather than a law firm? Absolutely. As I said a moment ago, my father gave me the opportunity to have a closet and a desk and a phone, but not the opportunity that the cases would just fall out of the sky and land into my lap. I learned very early on that you could stare at the phone all you want. It's not going to ring unless you shift the equilibrium and do something that will cause that phone to ring and for clients to end up hiring you. So staring at the phone after a day or two or three caused me to start working on the business because there was not much to work in the business. I just had very little legal work that was available. So we did a number of things. Uh, When I say we, I, uh, as we 
continue to build and define things that were working professionally, I recognized that marketing uh, a business was going to be essential for the phone to ring. I employed virtually none of the strategies that are done traditionally by law firms. So whether it was the yellow pages or speaking engagements, I thought that that was a crowded field. And for me to differentiate myself would mean that I needed to do it differently than everyone else was doing it. So we recognized early on that success was going to be creating a brand, which was the Probate Pro, and letting the world know that we were different than everyone else and that we offered great value. So we were very careful to define our value proposition, and we would constantly spread that message. And we'd spread the message in a very directed manner so that we would send direct mail to people that would tend to refer business to lawyers like myself in the probate space, whether it be financial or estate planning lawyers or people that didn't like to litigate or personal injury lawyers that needed probate to support their particular space. We would send marketing material that was very creative, not the traditional letters that you would see often disseminated. And early on, we were recognized by people as what I call the kid in high school who had the mohawk that everyone liked, but he clearly stood out from everyone else in the class. And I know that that concept of the purple cow is often used where everyone kind of, there's a lot of noise in the world, but when you see a purple cow on the side of the road, you're going to stop and look and take a photo. So we wanted to become remarkable and differentiate ourselves, but it was more than just marketing. It also required uh, adding great value. So we focused on building a great culture internally, which would then deliver great customer service and a great product. And then once we figured out the things that worked, we said we're going to scale that and we would keep refining it, honing it, and multiplying on it. So that's the basic strategy. And I'm happy to explain even more details of things that we've done successfully in our business to grow it. That's really interesting, Darren. You're the first person that we've spoken to in this show that's taken the position of direct outreach to referral partners. And we know a lot of people, and this is you know pretty standard block and tackle stuff for most people starting a law firm. A lot of these people are thinking that the way to do that is those B&I breakfast meetings and handing out business cards and, and that kind of thing. But um, a lot of the times when uh, we've discussed with prospects and clients about potentially doing this sort of outreach, there's a lot of caginess around the rules surrounding attorney advertising, specifically when we're talking about this direct outreach, which some people interpret as solicitation. So could you go into a little bit more about maybe the process that you went through in finding this and any sort of myths that might be out there that are preventing people from doing this right now? Because I'm in two states at the moment both Michigan and in Ohio, and we're planning on expanding beyond it, we've spent a lot of time understanding how different markets treat this particular subject matter. In Michigan, marketing is accepted and encouraged, and using a trade name like the Probate Pro is acceptable. But in other markets, that isn't the case, and more or maybe less progressive markets have all sorts of rules around building a brand name as well as use of direct marketing. But I believe that most states are coming around and they may be slow to the game, but they're coming around. And in Michigan, we are able to directly market services to other 
lawyers and other businesses in uh, you know following the ethical rules. And we've taken advantage of it. We do it in a way that is creative and direct. We recognize that a referral source will be a referral source generally for life of their career unless we do something to disrupt it or harm it. So rather than trying to acquire clients one at a time through direct-to-consumer, we recognize that direct-to-business of those businesses that would tend to refer business to us was a much more strategic way of client acquisition. And we have built a very, very large referral source through Michigan and in Ohio in which people, when they think probate, when they think trust, they immediately send the work to us. Yeah, and you actually hit on a really important point there. And this is kind of the importance of niching down. Now, um, a lot of people can kind of appreciate this from a networking perspective. But you know, if you're the person who does all things to all, th- uh, all people, it's really hard for somebody running a general practice, say, to get other referrals from another general practice. But um, since you guys have positioned yourselves in the market as the probate pros, it's easy for somebody who might not be super comfortable with probate administration to refer that work over to you. And also, you know, it, it kind of boils down to this concept of, of adding value, which is another thing that I'd want to discuss. So another objection that comes up to people doing this kind of stuff, you know, be it in, in direct outreach for referral relationships or marketing in general is, is this kind of um, concept of being annoying. But um, it seems like you have a really good process for, for creating these uh, these materials that are really adding value to the people that you're sending it to. Would you mind talking a little bit more about like the specifics of what kind of uh, promotions and stuff that you're getting in front of these referral partners and, and the, the whole process to getting them established as a relationship partner? Sure. And there's so many that I could use as examples, but I'll just go to a few of them to highlight it. Often people send out newsletters or pamphlets or brochures. We essentially deconstructed that, and we know that there are so many that are out there, that we created a one-page newsletter that was directed to a particular type of lawyer, that we knew that when they received it each month, that they would look forward to reading it because it was humorous, it was colorful, it was interesting. There were nuggets of information that they'd want to know. It wasn't a bragging session or telling us, you know, telling them that we hired a new lawyer, but rather it added value to their day. And it felt and looked different than every other piece of mail that was received in their mailbox on that given day. So that's one example. Another example is that we send out I know during the holiday season, there's all sorts of baskets of fruit and candy and cookies. And, and it's, it's pretty interesting to me that 99% of the material that I receive during the holiday season is, in essence, the exact same product. It may be packaged differently. It's food. It's sweets. There's a nice card with it. But in no way can I tell you what somebody gave me last year. And I get a lot of gifts during the holiday season. So we took the holiday season as an opportunity to send something that was not food and that every time they received it, they'd remember it. And it would be remarkable. For example, I sent hundreds of six-foot ladders. Imagine having a six-foot ladder delivered to your office during the holiday season. The ladder had a very large poster kind of affixed to it with a really creative 
photograph of us uh, explaining how the Probate Pro was reaching new heights and that we wanted them to come along for the ride. We've sent all sorts of interesting, creative marketing materials out that differentiate ourselves. So again, to the purple cow concept or the kid in high school with the mohawk, we always want to differentiate ourselves. So if somebody else is doing it, we're not going to do it. We're going to do it differently, creatively, stand out, and show why they want to be a part of our team and how we can add value to them. Yeah, that is fantastic stuff, Darren. So you've touched on a couple different things. I know you've mentioned the phrase purple cow, which I'm sure, yeah, we both know is is a Seth Godin thing. But um, I get the idea that you're the kind of guy who reads a lot of stuff about this. What kind of resources have you been using to sort of educate yourself on this? And I mean, obviously, you're a very creative guy, but to kind of facilitate that process and, and give you a little bit more uh, direction in terms of, of how you're going ahead and doing these things. Because I mean, it's, it's a pretty ballsy move. I'm sure six foot ladders, you know, shipping included is not a cheap move. But, um, you know, compared to the fruit baskets, those aren't cheap either. So a little bit of this um, creative brainstorming can definitely go a long way. And I'm sure the impact is immeasurable. Yeah, and I look at it from an abundance perspective, not a scarcity perspective. I look at every single thing that goes out of this office as an investment in the future. So although there's a cost to do a six-foot ladder or these marketing materials, I recognize that I'm purely investing and that I will receive a return on that investment. So I look at it from an abundance and investment perspective, not, oh my God, this is going to cost a lot of money. The second thing about using of resources, so first of all, I think just my personality and my upbringing, a lot of this is just who I am. Secondly, I do rely on tons of resources to assist me. A few of them include some of the materials and mentors out in, in the field, specifically Gino Wickman, who is a consultant who does the EOS system. Uh, Gino Wickman's model has been central to many of the concepts that I use for purposes of scaling and running the business. I've also read extensively uh, different business books. I, I always find them interesting to draw concepts here and there from them. But primarily, I recognize that I needed to be partnered professionally, organizationally, with somebody with strong integration skills because I am a visionary by birth and I needed an integrator partner to allow these concepts, these ideas that I have for purposes of growth to become reality, to become executable in the field. And that's also a really important concept that a lot of people in in businesses all over the world, not just law firms, it takes a lot of introspection and taking a hard, honest look at yourself to see what your strengths and weaknesses are. So in terms of actually finding that person, how did you go about doing it? And, and, you know, what kind of was the the, the before and after with once you found that person? Sure. So before was great success. The after was going from seven lawyers to 20 in a very, very short period of time. So we essentially were leaving a lot of money on the table. I recognized very early on that I needed additional support to grow and scale. And extensive interviewing, finding the right person that would complement my weaknesses with their strengths, etc., to ensure that we'd have diversity of thought, yet culturally would be in alignment because ultimately everybody in my organization has to embody the core values of my organization and fit the culture to ensure that we will grow 
with the plan that we have over the next 10 years. Right. And then we're kind of coming back to this culture distinction, which is an, so a lot of people will pay lip service to this concept of, of corporate culture, but you know, it's a lot more challenging than writing the, the core values in a document and saying, this is what we're going to do. So, I mean, you guys have obviously had a lot of success with it. What kind of activities are you guys doing in terms of making sure that these ideas get disseminated and are taken as a, you know, a point of, of making decisions in, in the firm? To the culture piece, almost every single day, I'm thinking about how do we create an environment where the people that are in my organization are going to want to wake up in the morning, brush their teeth, and look forward to coming in to the office, enjoy their time while they're in their office, and want to give their all to their office. So culture is building an environment that is plays by the rules and encourages um, creativity encourages participation and input and commitment and passion to the work. So there are all sorts of things that we do, whether it's organizational activities, fun outings, spontaneous ice cream events. I mean, I could go on and on with activities that we've done over the last three months. And again, I look at these because I know that every time we do this, we are strengthening the culture of our office, which is critical to the growth of our office. So we take culture very, very seriously. We just recently were awarded a cool place to work by one of the leading publications because of our commitment to culture and our commitment to creating a healthy organization. My plan is to build the best organization in the country. Not the best law firm, not the best probate firm, but the best organization in the country. That's what I'm committed to. Yeah, that's fantastic. And it kind of goes down to the um, the investment mindset you spoke about earlier. I mean, some people are going to look at a spontaneous ice cream event as, you know, that's $500 or $1,000 that I didn't need to spend this month. But, you know, when you kind of take it off of the cost and into that abundance mindset that you mentioned earlier, that's how you're opening yourself up to the dividends that you guys have been able to, to reap from, from growing this and providing a great service. Now, and we um, also are successful at recruiting people that otherwise wouldn't have looked at our office because of, I do believe that although pay is important, most people believe that if they're going to spend eight or so hours a day, five days a week in an office, they're interested in more than just pay. They're interested in, in spending most of their day in a, in a healthy, good place to work that gives them opportunity, creativity, and growth. So that's what we're committed to. Right. And it's, uh, you know, it all seems like a self-reinforcing cycle as well. You know, it becomes easier to hire, becomes better to get good people. The good people are supporting themselves. And at the end of this, you know, whole journey that you've taken, you have, you know, a great place to work that's I'm sure getting better every single month. Now, I'm um, kind of going back a little bit. So, you know, we're, we're looking at today, we've got 20 attorneys, you know, quite a far cry from the Darren in the closet some time ago. As far as the whole road to here, I'm sure it wasn't all positive. So like in terms of like the major hiccups you might have made, like what kind of major advice would you give to a younger version of yourself starting out? I think that the one that stands out by far the most is the unwillingness to delegate. I think that early on when you are a sole practitioner or in an office with just a few people, most people in that space tend to believe that they're the only ones that can effectively and efficiently do their role. I've done every role in my office, whether it's the receptionist, bookkeeper, the biller, the client contact. I've done all those roles. And at various times, I'm sure I believe that I was the only one that could do it and that I could never scale 
that particular function because I insisted on doing it. I have some entrepreneurial friends who used to joke or tease me that I was still stamping the backs of the checks as before they were going to the bank. That's how much control I wanted over every aspect of my business because I want excellence in every area. And what I think as an entrepreneur I struggled with, some of the big hiccups was recognizing that I can hire people to do work and delegate it in a way that they will do great work. And in fact, often better than I could have ever done. And that was very hard to learn and very hard to give up control of various aspects of the roles of the business. Yeah, we refer to that sometimes because that's it seems to be a common thing, especially with the people that have scaled. I mean, a lot of the solo practitioners, we refer to this as the superhero syndrome. And, you know, there's got to be some sort of a watershed moment where you kind of just decide enough is enough and finally decide to, to move it on. Would you mind, you know, if you remember, Darren, was there a moment in particular that, that kind of caused you to look at this? And for somebody who might be going through the same stuff, what, what did it really take to, to get you to commit to this? Well, I think that the concept that you just refer to it as the superhero kind of feeling, is even to this day, there are moments where I can feel myself um, wanting to take over something or saying to myself, oh, I'll just do that. I can, I can get it done faster or better or whatever. Often, I've got people around me that are constantly reminding me to stay out of that. You delegate it and elevate to ensure the growth will occur. And it's that simple reminder that has been a great tool for me. But I think that the watershed moment would have been the first time I ever did delegate something and saw that the people that were doing the work were actually doing it better than me. And I'm, I reflect on those moments and I said, wow, I, I can't believe I waited that long to stop doing that task of which I wasn't particularly great at. And I felt I was the only one that could do it. Yeah. So anyone who's out there, you know, if you're doing every single job in the business, you know, take a reminder to first of all, realize that you're an attorney that's whose time is worth hundreds of dollars an hour. And, you know, so stamming the checks might not be the best use of time. And even beyond that, you know, being the position where you're really a CEO of your own company and making decisions that could be worth well more than hundreds of dollars an hour is, you know, how you end up getting to the level that Darren's at today. Now, um, as far as next plans, Darren, um, you mentioned, you know, on the goal to create the best organization in the country, what are uh, sort of your plans for the future and how you plan to get there? Sure. So we have a, a plan of having 100 lawyers in this business. That plan is going to occur. It's going to occur by continuing to do the things that we do very well with more focus and discipline around them. So we have a, we do a lot of planning. The planning is done on various rhythms, whether it be weekly, quarterly, mid-year, and year-end, to ensure that we are always steering this business in the right direction towards the goal of 100 lawyers building this extraordinary business that we have dreamt up and written down and put in black and white transparently for everyone to see and know where we're going. So we talk about it all the time. Decisions that are made on a week-to-week basis are designed to steer the business in that direction. And everyone needs to be paddling or rowing the boat in the same direction to ensure that we're going to achieve all those goals. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, this has been such a valuable interview, Darren. For anyone who's kind of looking at the mindset, I hope you can kind of read between the lines to think about 
how Darren's thinking about these things from a day-to-day basis. And um, ultimately, you know, when you look at the success that he's had, um, a lot of this stuff is correlated. So you know, the mindset becomes such an important thing. And you know, maybe taking a look at some of these books that Darren's spoken about, maybe listen to this podcast another time because it's, he's dropping some really good nuggets here. As far as people that you might be, what's the best place to find you online, Darren? And what kind of people should be reaching out? So I'm always happy to talk to other entrepreneurs, to other business leaders, to individuals that are just curious that need mentoring. I'm always happy to help. I was mentored along the way. I'm still being mentored and I always enjoy mentoring others. I'm also interested in business to business opportunities. So you can reach me through my website, theprobatepro.com. And uh, I respond to every email, every communication. And I'd love to talk to people. All right, awesome. And thank you so much for that that offer, Darren. That's that's really helpful. I'm sure there's gonna be some people that are gonna reach out. If you're thinking about it, he's uh, he's making the offer, so there's something to take advantage of. Darren, thanks again for taking the time. There's been some really valuable lessons here. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you about it. Wonderful. So um thank you guys so much. Uh, it's been another episode of the Case Fuel Podcast and stay tuned. I hope we can have a guest uh, half as interesting and value driven as Darren next week. Uh, but until next time, this is Jan Roos. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.